All right. Well, good morning. I hope that you had a, a good week. It definitely was an uh, interesting week. Um, a couple things we want to talk about uh, before we get started. Uh, we're going to be, uh, first of all, uh, welcome uh, those that are here, those that are online. We're, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, this is obviously, again, the time where we take up our offering. We have our offering plates to the, the front of the auditorium. You can uh, place your offering in there uh, after service or at any time. Um, or you can give online uh, at our website. You can send a check in the mail, whatever you prefer to do. Again, we're just thankful for your, your faithfulness. And um, we know that uh, God's got us during this time. It's definitely a time that has got a lot of challenges and a lot of, of things that are a little bit different, but uh, God's got us. So uh, I also want to let you know that we're going to be concluding our series on uh, getting in the current this morning. We're going to finish that up, and next week we're going to start a brand new series. I'm really excited about it because I feel like the series that we're going to be starting next week is a very timely series. It's a series that I think is very important that we understand uh, and, and put into practice in our lives, especially with just everything that's going on um, in our lives, in our culture, in our country right now. So um, we'll be starting that next week. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be about a four-week series uh, that we'll be starting. And uh, I'll let you know a little bit more about that in the emails that I'm sending out every day. Uh, but also, obviously, next week we'll be starting uh, that. So again, looking forward to that. But we are going to be concluding our Get in the the uh, current series, again, for those that I think everybody pretty much knows, but I had a little bit of an uh, interesting situation when I was growing up, when I got caught in a current. It was strong, it was scary, but uh, it was something that uh, definitely really made me appreciate and understand the power of water and the power of, of something stronger than me. And uh, basically in this series, we've been talking about currents that I believe that God has wanted us to get into as a church, as individuals. And again, we're going to be wrapping up this series this morning. But before we go, jump into that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, whether we're, we're here in person or online. Father, you are, we're here together as we look at your word. So, Father, I pray that you'd give me wisdom, that you'd help me to share the words and the things that you would want me to share, that you would anoint me, Father, and help me as, I, as we dive into this topic that I feel like you've placed on my heart. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we're going to be talking about the final kind of part of our current series, the final current that I feel like God has called us to get into is, is this. We're going to get into the current of revival. We're going to get into the current of revival. Now, before we start jumping into this, we need to talk about this because here's one of the things I've learned about this. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I've, this has kind of been the series of, answer, of asking questions to you guys but uh, before we get started. And I think I know the answers to both of these questions, but please think of them in your own mind and answer them quietly to yourself. But I have a simple question first. Question number one, do you want a revival? Do you want a revival? Do you want a revival in this church? Do you want a revival in our community? Do you want a revival in our country? Do you want a revival in your own heart and your own life? Do you want a revival? Okay, that's question one. I think, at least I hope, I know the answer to all those questions. Or at least the question I just asked you. I hope I know what your answer would be. Now, here is the second question. What is revival? Because here's kind of the thing I've learned about revival. 
Revival is one of those terms that we like to use as Christians, but a lot of times we don't really understand what revival is or, or, or what it should be or, or what God's really wanting it to be. We kind of have different views of that. We kind of look at it and we all see certain things. Some of us, we see at least, I remember when I was growing up, and I know a lot of you will remember these, these things, we would have, I remember we would be at church on a Sunday morning, and the pastor would stand up and, and he would say, well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to let you know that coming this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we are having a revival. Remember those? And I was, as a kid, I'm sorry, I'll just have to admit it to you, I was not overly excited about that situation. Because I was like, hey, you know, we, we were here on church on Wednesday night, we were here on Sunday and Sunday night, and, and so to, to go, we're going to go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that, that just seemed a lot to me, I'll just be honest. But I don't believe that's what a revival is. Some of us think it's, it's when we see a, a really strong outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, is that a good thing? Yeah, should we want that? Yeah, but is that really what a revival is? I would say no. But I've, it's interesting, in, in my time as a pastor, I've heard people say, hey, pastor, you know what we need? You know what we need? What? What do we need? We need a revival. And I go, okay. And if I talked to four different people, I'd have probably four different ideas of what that is. So before we really get into this, we need to, to define our term. We need to figure out what this means for at least this message this morning. So I want to look at it together. So first, we're going to, this is in your notes, we're going to look at, we're going to define what a revive or revival is. Okay? This is what we're looking at. It is to restore life or consciousness. It is new strength or energy, and it's an awakening or an awakening. Okay. That is our definition that we're looking at. Now, obviously, we're going to apply that to a spiritual understanding this morning. But it is something that basically, in some ways, brings new life, brings new consciousness. Basically, the idea of something that was maybe knocked out and now it's coming back. All these things are kind of this understanding, an awakening of what revival is. When I was a, 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 a couple years ago, before my, my grandfather passed away, I asked him to do something. I went, I think it was his birthday or Christmas, I don't remember. And I went to, I think, Barnes and Nobles uh, or, or Borders, when they had a Borders. And, and I went in there and I found a leather journal. And I gave it to him for Christmas or his birthday, and I said, Grandpa, this journal has a purpose. He said, what's that? He said, I want you to write down your life. I want you to tell me all the things, because I knew at some point, you know, Grandpa was going to go see Jesus, and he wasn't going to be around, and so I said, will you write down some of your life so I can have it? I still have this journal, and I remember one of the stories, and it always makes me laugh, and it was when my, my grandfather was a little boy and he was at school. And at school they were at a recess and they were having a great old time. And basically he was out and I can't remember exactly what, what, what happened. But basically there was swings, you know, kids are swinging. And grandpa is not paying attention or he's focused on something else. Well, as he's not paying attention, I think some of you know where this is going. Uh, one of the little girls who is swinging basically clocks grandpa right in the noggin and knocks him out cold. Cold. So he's lying on the ground, on the dirt, just completely out, unconscious, dead to the world, basically. And Grandpa says, I woke up to this little girl standing over me, spitting in my face. You go, well, that's kind of a horrible thing to do. And so he kind of wakes up like, well, what, what are you doing? 
And the little girl basically says, well, I, I, you were knocked out. And I've seen when people get knocked out, they take water and they dump water on them to get them to come back, up, you know, become conscious again. Well, I didn't have any water, so I thought I had to spit. So the little girl, just, I'm just, I don't know, I, I don't know, I'm just picturing this in my mind. My grandpa out cold, this little girl just going, pff, pff, scared to death, thinking she'd probably kill him, you know, spitting on him, and he's, what, what, what are you doing? Well, he was unconscious. He was trying to be revived. She was trying to revive him, basically. She was basically trying to give grandpa a revival there on the playground. Now, she was doing it in a very strange way, in a very funny way, but that's really what she was trying to do. She was trying to bring him back. Bring him back. The, the text we're going to be looking at is in Ephesians 5.14. Now I want to remind you as we look at this, this is written not to the unsaved, but this is written to the believers in Ephesus. This is actually, and a lot of theologians believe that the scripture that we're looking at was actually a song or a, or a hymn that the early church would sing together. Okay, but this is what it says in Ephesians 5, 14. It says, this is why it is said, this is Paul writing to them, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, I think one of the things that we need to understand about a revival is it really does not begin at a church or at an organization. It really begins in the heart of a believer who decides, you know what, I need to be revived. And that's hard for us to understand because a lot of times we can be sleepwalking and thinking we're quite a bit awake. If you think about it, sleep is an interesting thing. Sleep is interesting because you don't know you're asleep until you've woken up. And so a lot of us, we walk through our lives thinking, oh, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm fine. But we're not necessarily awake or revived to the place that God wants us to be. And here's what's interesting about that. Just like in physical sleep, you can sleep talk. You can sleep walk. I remember as a kid being told by teachers, listen, study right before you go to bed. Don't stay up real late because you're not going to keep it in. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it worked for me. And they used to say, study right before bed, maybe like 30 minutes, then go to bed because your mind is going to continue to think. We think while we're sleeping. So sleep sometimes for a, in a spiritual sense, even in a physical sense, is hard to identify. We think sometimes we're wide awake, but the problem is, is we're not. And sometimes what we have to do is be willing as individuals to look at our heart and go, listen, am I really awake? Am I really allowing the revival that God wants to bring forth in my life happening? Or is it a situation that, that basically I'm kind of sleepwalking right now? I'm sleep talking right now. I'm even sleep thinking right now. But I'm not revived. Because a lot of times what I hear and what I see is people that say, hey, I want a revival, but they're not willing to let God truly revive them. So it starts with us. It starts with us as individuals. And I think that's important. Because a lot of times we do. We want revival to help our community. We want revival to help our family. We want revival to help all these things. And all those things are great, fine, and dandy. But it starts with us. So for our understanding, for this message this morning, this is how I want us to understand revival, and it's in your notes. Revival is when Christians, it starts with us, when Christians wake up so they can help the lost wake up from the dead. 
You see, we see this all the time in Scripture, this idea that we are dead in our sins and that Christ has given us new life. And we want that to happen. So in some ways, if you look at it, Christians sometimes are sleeping and unsaved people are dead. And revival, I believe, is really happening when we as the church wake up, are revived by God to understand our purpose and our plan and what God's called us to do. And then we go out and have people that are spiritually dead brought back to life because people are coming to know Jesus. If you study any of the great revivals that people love to quote and love to talk about, you know what happens in every single one of them? It's not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It isn't. I know we're AG, we're Pentecostal, we love that, and that's a great thing. I'm not saying that's bad in any way, shape, or form, but that's not our criteria. What we see in every single one is this, people come to know Jesus. People that are dead in their sin are brought back to life. People that are walking, like basically a dead man walking, are brought to Jesus. Now, Should we desire the gifts of the Spirit? Should we want the outpouring of the Spirit? Absolutely. Do those sometimes go hand in hand? You bet. But listen, I am more interested in people coming and being a part of the family of God and being with Him for all eternity more than anything else. A revival is when that happens. A revival is when that takes place. But again, we start with us. We start with us. So the question we need to ask ourselves as we look at this awakening, as we look at this revival that God wants to do in us first, we need to ask a question. So who can awaken us? Who can awaken us? Because here's the problem with that. You know this is going to be a real simple answer, and I'm not trying to make it overly complicated. But I've seen in my own life, and I will speak for me, that there are times where I need to be awakened to the things of God, but I am looking at other things to do the awakening, and it's not working. I'll say, you know, if I just work harder as a pastor, then then God's going to do something. If I just did this or if I just did that. The thing we have to understand is the awakening always starts with Jesus. He always is the one who comes and speaks to dead things or asleep things and makes them alive again. It's interesting that even in Scripture we see this, and we're not going to talk about this particular story, but a time when Jesus literally brings a little girl back to life. Remember this story? It's Jairus' daughter. And and basically Jesus comes, and everybody's mourning, and everybody's having a fit, and because she's dead. And Jesus walks in, and what does he say? He says, she's not dead. She is simply sleeping. Sometimes in Scripture we see that. And spiritually speaking, we have to understand that the only person that's going to awaken us, the only person that can take a dead thing out in the world and bring it back to life is Jesus. It's not programs. It's not the perfect worship set. It's not the perfect pastor. It's not the best sermon you've ever heard. It's Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. And he wants to bring us back. He wants to awaken us. But I want to look at a story that maybe some of you haven't looked at before because it's a small little story in scripture. But it's a story where Jesus awakens something in a physical sense, but I think we can also relate it to a spiritual sense. So we're going to be in Luke 7. 
in Luke 7, 11, we see this little story. It's just, you know, about six verses or so. It's just kind of hidden in here in Luke 7. There's a lot of cool things going around. Not that this isn't cool. Don't misunderstand me. But this is kind of a story we don't always focus in on. But let's look at it together. This is what it says in Luke 7, 11, going through verse 17. And we're going to kind of talk about it, go through the verses, and kind of look at what Jesus does here. So this is what it says. Soon afterward... Jesus was with his disciples in the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him, okay? So, so this is kind of the situation. Jesus is there. He's entering the city. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate, okay? So here's what we got. We got people coming in and people going out. Okay, uh, Jesus is crowded, got a bunch, a bunch of people around him, and he's trying to get into the city. And as he's coming in, a funeral procession is coming out. Okay, coming out. It says, uh, <clears throat> the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Now let's stop here for a second, because this is important that we catch this. Okay, Luke specifically mentions something here that we need to understand about Jesus, okay? The fact that this is a widow's only son, okay? Now, obviously, it didn't matter if this widow, it wasn't a widow, and she was married and had 14 sons. It's never easy to lose a child. But in this situation, this is devastating at the time, okay? This means that this poor woman is really going to be destitute, She's going to have nothing. She's going to be a, a really a beggar at this particular time in her life because her only son that could help her and take care of her is, is now basically gone, okay? So this is a tragic situation. This is a situation that is, is going to not just obviously affect her emotionally, but in every aspect of her life. I want you to see that. I want you to understand the scope of this for this poor lady, okay? So basically, this is what he sees. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Can I, can I, can I, I'm, I'm going to jump over here and then I'm going to jump back. I want you to stop and I want you to think about this for a second. Because it's so easy, and, I, and this is maybe something we need to awaken to. Because look, we... Most of us, we, we grew up in church or we've been Christians for a long time. And it is sometimes so easy to forget, as sad as this is, to say the level of love and compassion that Jesus has for you. It doesn't just, it overflows. It literally overflows. And so many times we can sit there and we can... God, have you forgotten me? God, where are you at? God, what's going on? God, I'm scared. All these things. You know what, Jesus? Jesus has overflowing compassion for you. Overflowing love for us. He loves you so much. It's overflowing. So he says, don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. I love 
Now, now listen, I, as I was looking at this this week, I started going, well, well, is this, is this, is this one of those things where Jesus shouldn't have touched the coffin? You know what I mean? It's, he broke the Jewish rules and things like that. And look, I looked and, and I saw some people that thought maybe he did, but, but what I found was there really wasn't necessarily any law that I saw from the Old Testament that basically he couldn't touch the coffin because obviously these people are holding the coffin. He couldn't touch the dead body. And there was some thought that maybe the Jewish people had expanded that law to not even touching the coffin. But I think what's more important here is that Jesus stops something from going on. This is, he, they're, they're, listen, they're not walking around the block just to walk around the block. They are moving towards a destination. They're in a coffin. This kid is in an open air coffin, basically, which was what the, the tradition of the day was. And they are taking him out to bury. And I think sometimes in our lives, we have that situation where, you know what? We're headed someplace with something dead. We're headed with something, something that, that happened a long time ago and we're carrying it and we're going, oh, I got I to gotta take it and I got I to gotta carry this around. You know, Jesus doesn't want you to carry around dead things anymore. Those things that, that are bringing, and you know what I'm talking about, those things that bring death and not life to your heart and to your family and to your relationships. And yet we want to carry it around. We want to hold it up and say, look, here it is. Look what happened. See all the stuff. See the rotting flesh. Look at it. Look at it. Mourn with me. And Jesus says, stop. If you want revival, if you want me to do something amazing and bring you life again, you've got to stop carrying dead things around. And you go, well, Aaron, what do I do? What do I do with this dead thing? Glad you asked. Let's look what Jesus did with it. He said, stop. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. He sits up. Not only does he sit up, he begins to speak. He be oh, I wish I knew what his first words were. I, 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 that's just me. I mean, can you imagine what, I mean, what, what did he say? I'm hot. Get these things off me. I'm wrapped up. I, Mom, where are you? What's going on? Why is it so dark? I don't know. But he speaks to him and he comes alive. You know what? You know what's funny to me? Like, I was thinking about this as I was trying to, because I was kind of looking at scripture where Jesus, you know, brought people back to life. And obviously there was Lazarus and there was Jairus' daughter. And obviously there was this story. You know what? Jesus doesn't like funerals. I love that. Jesus is not a big fan of funerals. He does not like death. Jesus ruins every funeral he goes to. You, you plan it all out. It's all this stuff. You got the flowers out. And Jesus is like, nah, I'm, we're not going there. Jesus hates death. Jesus came that we may have life. And he says, no, no, we're not doing this right now. We're not going to deal with this right now. And so he comes and he speaks and, he, he, and, and this little boy comes back to life. Now let's continue on because it's important that we catch what ends up here as we continue on with verse number 16. Is it there? I got it here if it's not. It's okay. So this is what it says. This is what it says, starting with verse number 16. It says, after this happens, great fear swept the crowd 
And they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. You see, here's the thing. When Jesus comes and Jesus takes something that was dead, that needed to be revived, that was asleep and brings it alive, people will take notice. People will go, wait a minute, there is something going on. There is something amazing happening. Here's the thing, listen, think about your work life or your home life. or your. If, if God got a hold of you to a place where he completely revolutionized your walk with him and everything that you were doing became to another level and a deeper connection and a deeper relationship with him, how would that be different? How would people look at you different? When you walked into work tomorrow, how would they look at you going, wait, 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 something happened to you that I need to know about. You see, when dead things are dead and they become alive, people take notice. People take notice to that. Look at Romans 4. In Romans 4, 17, this is what it says. This happened because Abraham believed the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. You see, God doesn't just create new things from the old things. He takes and creates new things from nothing. You go, well, I, I can't do this. I'm not sure I can, I can bring myself to that. Listen, God can take whatever you got, even if it's nothing, and produce new, beautiful things in your life. But he loves to take dead things. He loves to take asleep things and bring them back to life. But it has to be Jesus. We can't find it in our spouse. We can't find it in our hobbies. We can't find it in our friends. We can't find it in the self-help book. We find it in Jesus. And that is so important. So, as we kind of close this up in this series, I believe that we need to awaken in three ways. Now, listen, there are many, many other ways that, that I feel like we could awaken, but, but we didn't want to be here till 3 o'clock, Okay. So I've put three down here that we need to talk about and I feel like are important to where we are, not only as a church, but where we are in our world today. But I believe we need to awaken in three ways, okay? Three ways. Number one, and this one I'm going to have to explain a little bit, so just hold off. Don't run to where your mind's going to run, but just stay with me. But the first one, we need to awaken from social distancing, we need to awaken from social distancing. Now, this is one of those moments where you kind of, not that everybody would care about what I have to say, that's not, you know, but this is where like somebody could come in and, and slice um, up the sermon and put things together and make this sound really, really bad. So let me, let me clarify this statement, okay? But first of all, I was thinking about this this week. We didn't even know this term existed six months ago, eight months ago. I don't know how many months it's been now. We didn't even know if I said if I said to you, "Hey, have you been social distancing in January?" You'd be like, "What are you talking about?" I mean, you met probably people would have gone, "Well, well, I haven't been on Twitter recently. Is that is that what you mean?" You know, we wouldn't know. But now this is a term we all know. We all know. And here's the thing: when I talk about this term. Okay? I'm not necessarily talking about the social distancing that you consider or you're thinking about or that you're reminded of every time you enter into a store. My concern and what I believe I'm seeing 
not just in this little section of time, but what I've seen in my own life at times and in the life of the church as a whole is we have started to social distance ourselves from God. We have made this decision that, you know what, God, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in my life, but you got to stay six feet away. you got to stay six feet away from me. And if, 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 listen, you know, if, if you want to do that, God, that's great. That's fine and dandy. But you got to stay over there and I'll stay over here. And that way, listen, I'm safe. I'm safe. You know, God won't, at that distance, you know, God won't be able to, to dig deep and, and, and pull up some of those hurts and some of those things that God really wants to heal in me. You know, I'll just, I'll just keep them over there. And God, you stay over there. And, and God, I'll stay over here. It, it, you know, it's time, to, it's time to read our word or it's time to, to study or it's our time to worship or it's time to listen or whatever it is. You know, okay, God, you stay over there and I'll stay over here and, and we'll just be happy and everything will be great. And, and here's the thing about social distancing. If you think about what it is or the point of it, I guess, it is to basically keep you safe. And the problem is, is Christianity isn't about being safe. Having a relationship with God, hear, hear me here, understand what I'm saying here, isn't safe. I remember growing up as a little boy and reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I love those stories, and, and I love reading those stories, and I've read them probably more times than I, than I should, but I love in this, this dialogue between basically uh, when they're talking about Aslan, and Aslan, if you don't know, is this, is this Christ character who's a lion, and one of the little children says, is he safe? And I think it's Mrs. Beaver, I, I, it's one of the beavers, says, of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. Listen, Jesus is a lion. He is fierce. And he's not safe. And I don't know if somebody lied to you that said Jesus was safe, but he's not. And this life as Christians isn't about our safety. In fact, Jesus said the opposite was true. He said, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to be hated. You are going to be treated poorly for my name's sake. This isn't about safety. And you know what? Sometimes we got to get away from the social distancing and embrace God and say, God, I need you. I want you. You're the only one that can change me and revive me and make me who you call me to be. But you know what? That's scary. Because the more we get into the light, the more the light reveals things that may be not so fun to look at. Or maybe be hard to deal with because they're things that we've buried. They're things that we've looked at and said, you know what? These things hurt. You know what's interesting about that little section in the, the story of C.S. Lewis? or in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, after we're told how unsafe Jesus really is, it says this, it says, but he's good. But he's good. You see, our Jesus is good. I'd rather have an unsafe Jesus that was good than a safe Jesus that was bad. And our Jesus is good. Our God is good. We have to get away from this idea or this concept that God, you stay over there and I'll stay over here six feet, six feet. You know what's interesting? And I know that there's, this is a weird way to put it and I know certain countries didn't, don't do six feet or why we do six feet or whatever. But you know what's interesting to me? You know the term six feet? You know when I used to hear that a lot? When I would hear the term that six feet? Six feet down. 
six feet in the ground, six feet dead. Sometimes you have to remember that that's six feet. You may think you're awake. You may think you're alive. But if you're keeping Jesus at six feet away, you may not be as alive as you think you are. You may have to understand that it is time to put down the barrier, put down the wall, and allow that to happen where we grow closer to him. Look at James 4, 8. This is what it says. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I love that scripture because what it says is not that God is stationary and we just come here. It's literally a situation where God and we come together. He promises us that. So we need to awaken from this idea of social distancing from God. Number two, we need to awaken to training. We need to awaken to training. Now, in Revelations 3, we, we looked at this a little bit when we went through our Revelation series, but I think it's important that we catch this again. Look at Revelations 3, 1 and through 3. This is what he says to the church there. He says, I know your record and what you are doing. You are supposed to be alive. And this is the amplified version. That's why we're seeing a little bit more here. But in reality, you are dead. Okay, you are dead. Rouse yourself and keep awake and strengthen and invigorate what remains and is at the point of dying. For I have not found a thing that you have done or any of your works to meet the requirements of my God or perfect in his sight. Okay? So call to mind the lessons you have learned or the lessons you have received and heard. Continually lay them to heart and obey them and repent okay this is obviously one of the churches that 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 jesus is speaking to in the letters of the church we talked about this a couple uh, months ago now what is this really saying it's simple this church even though they look to be alive look to be awake are asleep what do they need to do they need to strengthen themselves they need to strengthen themselves whether isn't whether whether we need to do this in a but a bodily form where we go to the gym and we get stronger or it's discipline as far as training ourselves with our minds, whatever it is, we need to understand that there is a training that God wants to put us in to understand how to come more alive. For some of us, we think that we're just going to magically get more mature by sitting on our rear end and doing nothing. And it doesn't work that way. That is a sign that we are sleeping. I mean, here's the thing. Look at it in a physical, bodily form. If I said to you, are, are you getting stronger physically? And, I, and you said, yes. And then I said, how? You should be able to tell me how. Well, I'm going to the gym and I'm lifting weights or I'm doing this or I'm doing that or I'm running or I'm doing that. Whatever it is that you're doing, you could identify what you're doing to make yourself physically stronger. So let's take it to a spiritual sense. If I said, what are you doing every day to get spiritually stronger, could you answer my question? Could you say, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm, I'm moving in this direction, I'm reading this book, I, I sp I'm spending this amount of time in prayer. I, and again, it's not, about, it's not about time here, but it's about a plan of training. Okay, It's about a plan of training. If, if you are hurt physically and you need physical therapy, a good physical therapist is going to give you a plan of training to strengthen what is weak so it can get better. 
Why aren't we doing that spiritually, though? I think we think, well, if we just show up to church, and hey, should we show up to church? Absolutely. Or I wish you watch online. Should we do that? Absolutely. Then all of a sudden, we're just going to magically take care of this situation, and it just doesn't work that way. And so we need to understand that. We need to be willing to allow ourselves training, allow ourselves to do something to bring us to a place, a new place of maturity and a new place of growth in him, in him. The final one, the final one. We need to awaken to our mission. We need to awaken to our mission. This is obviously an easy one. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. You know what's interesting? Let, let's stop here because I think it's easy to miss this. It kind of goes with the, the point we just talked about. Jesus here is getting ready to ascend into heaven, okay? This is his last command. This is obviously the Great Commission, right? And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing this concept that we as Christians are hopefully awake and we're going to go and begin the process of helping dead people come alive again, okay? And how do we do that? We do that in many, many ways. Obviously, we go. But then as we get to verse 20... We see this idea of teaching these newest disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Okay, now I want you to look at a couple words with me here so that we understand where we are in this equation as well. Because a lot of times as Christians, we go, oh, this is the Great Commission. This is what we, we are to go, and we are to help all these people, and we, are, we don't have to do, we just go. Okay, so here's the question I have. How many of us obey all the commands I have given you? Please don't raise your hand because you don't. Okay, if I I'm, my hands are in my pockets, you know, I'm sitting down. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, what, I, listen. What does that mean for you and me? Simple. It means that we still need to be taught. We're still disciples too. We still have things to learn. That's what the training is. Is that idea? So listen. Here's how this works. When you can come to me with a straight face and say, I am obeying all the commands that God has given me, then we can talk about you not having to be taught anymore. Why do I still need to be taught? Well, that's obvious for many, many reasons. But one of them is I am still not even close to obeying all the commands that God has given me. So this is not just seeing those out there. It's also taking a moment and looking in here, which is wonderful. Because it helped us remember that we don't know it all. That there's still growth that you and I can experience. And if we want to do a good job of discipling those out there, if we want to do a good job going and making a difference and having a mission out there, once again, it begins with us. It begins with us. It says, and be sure of this, and then this is a promise, not only for those that are out there, but those that are in here. I am with you always even to the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful how, how Jesus finishes that? Because he says, listen, whether you're out there and don't know me, I'm, I, I want you, I, I desire you, I love you. Whether you're in here and you know me and you're still working on things, I'm with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never go anywhere. Even in our imperfections, Christ loves us and Christ is there for you and for me. 
And it's easy to fall asleep to our mission. It's easy to get busy with other things and, and, and begin to focus on those things. The worship team wants to come up. We're going to close. It's so simple in some ways. And, and here's the thing about asleep that I want to help us to understand. Um, it, it's not always something that, 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 that happens. I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want to phrase this. Because it, it, is, it is something we have to all be aware of. But sleep can, can, and slumber can come really easily, you know? And, and here's the thing. There are times where, where unfortunately, pastors, and, and I'm trying really hard, even though I kind of have a personality that's kind of this way, you know, it's like, it's like we want to run up to somebody that's asleep and we want to shake them or throw ice water on them to wake them up. Now listen, that's going to wake them up. But it's not going to wake them up in a good mood. Okay? And I feel like there are certain times and there are certain um, people that, that, that they feel like their job is to walk up to people um, that know Jesus and don't. And, and kind of throw cold water on them. And what's interesting is, is looking back to the story of Jesus as he really did bring something dead back to life, we don't see this, this, he just says, get up. He just says, get up. I don't know if you have kids or, 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 or grandkids, and, but one of my favorite things to do, and normally he's way up before I am, but, so, but is when Easton's asleep. And I walk in and it's his dad. And you know what? My job is to wake him up, right? So I could walk up to him and get down right into his face. And I'm not going to yell because I don't want to, you know. And just be like, dad, wake up! And oh, he'd wake up. But that's not what I do. That's not what Emily does. We'll sit down and we'll say, Easton, it's time to wake up. It's time to get up. There is, there is a love there. There is a care there. There is a desire there to, to not just wake up, but listen, but to love during the wake up. And I think that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Now listen, hear me here. Uh, there's going to be some times where because of situations and circumstances and quite honestly because we won't get up that, that Jesus may have to get the, the cold water out. And he loves us enough to do it, Okay. But I believe that Jesus, what he really wants to do in our hearts and our lives is to get us up in a way that is gentle, that is loving, that is caring. But listen, he wants you to wake up. He wants us all to wake up for, for, for two reasons. One, because he loves you and because you cannot experience the full life that Christ has for you as you are sleepwalking. Okay? But second... Because he understands that he has called us as his church to go out, to go, and to make disciples. And listen, you can't wake somebody up if you're asleep too. We all need to wake up a little bit. 
and understand that, listen, the time is short. And God has called us all to make a difference. You want revival? I want revival. What does that mean? Simple. It means the church wakes up and goes out and gets people through Jesus' love and sacrifice and death and resurrection for them to come alive too. That's it. Can there be all other things? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with that? No way, shape, or form. But if we want revival in this church and in our lives and in this community, that's where it starts with us as individuals waking up to the deep things that God wants us to wake up to. Father, we love you. And God, I'm so thankful that, that you desire a church that's awake. Jesus, you wrote to one of the churches in Revelation. You said, listen, listen, you're, basically you said you're sleepwalking. He said, I know the things you're doing, but you're still asleep. Wake up. Wake up. Because I have things for you to do. I have a mission for you to have. I need you to come and be closer to me than you ever have before. I have something so much greater than what you've ever experienced. And so Jesus, I pray for me. I start with me and for every individual here and every individual online that Jesus, we will first and foremost stop and take a really hard look at our hearts and our lives. Am I asleep? Am I not fully awake? Even though I may be talking, even though I may be walking, even though I may be thinking, spiritually speaking, am I really awake? And Father, if we're not, that you would wake us up. That you would, you would gently take us and say, my son, my daughter, I love you. It's time to get up. It's time to get busy. It's time to, to begin to awaken to these things that I want to do in you and through you. Because you know what? There's a world out there that's dying. That isn't asleep. They're dead, spiritually speaking. And I want to use you to be a light and to bring life to a world that needs it. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive me for praying that you will revive our city and our country and our world and not starting with me first. Because for whatever reason, you have chosen to use us to be your instruments to bring that about. So Father, start in our hearts. And Father, as we are waking up, as we are doing that, Father, I pray that you would help us to know that you are placing people in our path. You are placing people in our workplaces and at Walmart and Target and in our home and in our school. You have placed people that you have called us to bring life to. You have called us to be used by you to make that change, to help them have that change in their life. We want to always talk about revival, Jesus. And you want revival too. So Father, I pray you would help us get in the current of revival. And that you would help us always to know it starts with you first. 
It starts with you first and you doing in our hearts first what needs to be done. You're so good. We love you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Revive us, Father. Revive us again. No matter where we're at, no matter how maybe awake we are, wake us up a little bit more to be used by you. To change us, to become more like you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I hope you have a wonderful week. I love you all so much. I'm looking forward to um, next week and sharing the new things that God's placed in my heart. But listen, love you so much. I'm excited about what God has. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Those that are online, we miss you. We hope to see you soon. Hope you're doing well. Love you. Have a great week.